Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 214. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Richard Ryerson here. Thanks, as always, to tuning into the show. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this. If you like what you hear on Dose of Leadership, I'd ask if you could go take the time to subscribe to this on your mobile device. If you got an Android device, Stitcher's the app you want to use. Apple device, the podcast app, or iTunes. Subscribe, leave a rating and review. Let me know what you think about this show. I love the most recent reviews that I got. Thank you to Merlin Wizard 4, I guess is the name, WZ4, May 13th. He says, of all the leadership podcasts available on iTunes, Richard's Dose of Leadership is one of the top five without a doubt. He carries the interviews very well. Always has great guests and is full of wisdom. It's great to hear his insight, and I look forward every week to the latest episodes arriving on my phone. Keep up the great work, Richard Simplify. Well, Merlin, thank you so much. That certainly pays the emotional um, bills, if you will. It gives me a lot of fire and energy to keep going on this show. I love it when I hear back from you listeners. So leave a rating and review, just like Merlin did. Let me know what you think about the show. It means the world to me. And again, it does, does so much for the visibility of the show. I appreciate all of the feedback that I get. You can drop me a line, too, at richard at doseofleadership.com or go to my website, doseofleadership.com, and go to the Contact tab and uh, get back to me. I promise you I will get back to you. I answer every email. It may take me a while, but I will get back to you. Well, this is the show we talk about leadership. Authentic and courageous leadership is what we pursue. All of us are going to be called to leadership at some time in our lives, so it's in our best interest to learn everything we can about leadership. And that's what we try to do here, try to engage in authentic, natural conversations, no scripted questions. It's different every time. I just love having these conversations. Like I sit down with dinner or having a beer or a drink with a guest and trying to get to know them as best we can and their challenges and their advice on leadership. Well, I'm excited to say that I had uh, Dana Perino back on the show. She has been fabulous for the show, you know, and I said it uh, and told her in this interview, you know, she came on my show two years ago early on and after she came on the show and she shared it with her audience and that exposed me to a whole different um, uh, audience level and so I owe a lot to Dana and she's just the most authentic and genuine souls out there on the, on the media circuit. I'm a huge fan of hers. If you haven't heard of her, she is a Fox News contributor and the co-host of one of the most popular shows in cable television, The Five, one of my favorite shows. She was the first Republican woman to serve as the White House press secretary. You may remember that uh, during the last half of the, the Bush years. She served over seven years in the administration with George W. Bush, including the, at the Department of Justice right after the terrorist attacks on 9-11. She lives in Manhattan with her husband, and if you follow her, her husband Peter, which is a great story, we talk a little bit here on the show, and of course her dog, the Visla Jasper, which I love getting updates on that. She came on the show to talk about her new book, And the Good News Is, and it's a great book. I highly recommend you read this book. It's full of optimism and a great insight uh, to behind the scenes of what it was like to work at the White House and work with President George Bush. 
And again, she's got a lot of great advice um, for all of us out there, and we hit on some of these points in this interview. So again, without further ado, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation, another conversation with Dana Perino on Dosa Leadership. Oh my gosh, so thrilled to have Dana Perino back on the show. Dana, welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thank you for having me. I've been following you on Twitter and the rest, and I like what you do. Oh, well, and I love what you do. You know, it's been, uh, gosh, it's been almost a couple of years since you came on last time, and you got this book, and I said, oh, this is a great opportunity to get you back on the show, so thank you for, for doing this. I got to tell you, I love the book. Absolutely love it. And, um, <laughs> you know, when you were on a couple of years ago, we talked about some of these things about, you know, George Bush, and this really seems to me like a Bush or a book to highlight some of the uh, the stories that no one knew about President Bush. Was that really the genesis of it? There's a couple things. You know, um, because I've been, one of the reasons I came on your podcast before is because I've been doing a lot of mentoring. Um, and I continue to get questions, especially from young people and their parents asking, you know, how can my child, most of them now, uh, college students and beyond, uh, be more successful? And especially if they didn't maybe get that, elite Ivy League education. And I'm a perfect example of why we did not. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up on a cattle ranch in eastern Wyoming and then also in uh, rural Colorado, in Parker, Colorado. Um, I intended to be a journalist. I was a country music DJ. I ended up working in Washington on Capitol Hill, but then I meet this guy who's an airplane. I'm on an airplane and I moved to England. And so one of the things I wanted to do in the book is to reassure people that anytime you try to plan out your life, God ends up having a better plan for you. Right. That has been true for me over and over again. That is a theme through my book. And in the conclusion, I decide that now it's maybe time for me to start trusting that. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's... After a, all this time. That's a great insight. You're absolutely right. You know, I think we come in, we go into life and we think, oh, you know, I've got these plans. I'm going to be this and things. Life's going to be so great. But the amazing thing is, and it's so true, I, on all the people that I've interviewed on the show, that has been a theme where people say, oh my gosh, I'd never thought I was going to be in this place, but I love it. And they love it because they, when an opportunity was given to them, if God presented an opportunity, they took it and they're taking the risk. And yeah, you're right. That theme is prevalent in this book. Yes. Um, and in addition, I feel that I wanted to tell some stories of behind the scenes of the Bush administration because I had a very interesting um, insight, right? I had a front row seat to history. Right. And the stories that I can tell about the time of the White House and President Bush as not just my boss, but someone who becomes like a second father to me, um, those are only stories that I could tell. Yeah. And I felt like the timing for the book was right. I agree. You know, a little bit of distance from the past, from the previous administration, um, and right before a presidential election, just when people might be forming long-term views of somebody, I felt that it was a good time to put this out there. You know, I, I, and I've known some people that have worked um, around the Bushes, both the Bush Senior and uh, and George Bush too, and. No matter what anybody can say about their politics, I don't care what anybody believes about their politics. You cannot say that they're. I mean, at, deep down, they're some of the most decent people around. I mean, I ha I I believe that, and everybody I've come into contact that's worked with them, have known them. You know, Eric Draper, who you introduced me to. I mean, he's he just absolutely loves George Bush. You know, and he went into it eight years. You know, not really kind of being politically agnostic, I guess, but he just and you know he told me he said he, he just was so impressed how he knew everybody's name. You know, from the and and about their family and all that kind of details. And so that I just find that commendable. I do too. Um, and I got a chance to see him you know, down in Dallas. Did you? 
Yeah, it was really fun. Um, he, he, he's so happy right now. He's settled. You know, he, he doesn't, he misses being commander in chief, but he knew that that part of his life was over. So he moved on and he's got a pretty active, uh, Bush Center down there with lots of different policy aspects. He loves his painting. Yeah. Does a lot of speaking, but his favorite title is grandfather. Yeah. Nothing means more to him right now than that. But it was fun to go see my friend. Yeah. I bet you that was, that was fun. I, you know, one thing that I, I found, uh, interesting in the last month or so, well, he's starting to speak up a little bit more. You know, he was so, you know, holding on to the traditions of not speaking account, uh, against current administrations, but he's kind of got a larger voice now. Why do you think that is? Well, actually, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that it, it seemed like he had because somebody leaked private comments of his in a, um, private meeting that he was having in Vegas where he was talking about foreign policy in the Iraq war because I'm sorry, the um, Iran uh, deal, the possible nuclear deal that's on the table. But that was because it was in front of a group of re Republican uh, Jewish coalition leaders. And um, unfortunately, those comments leaked. I don't think he intended them to. But of course, he's entitled to his opinion. Sure. And he's got a strong one. The one thing I recommended that the White House not react to that, but that they take his words under advisement because I thought he was right. Yeah. You know, one favorite story that I have in the book that I, you know, it kind of highlights, too, the strength about him. And Eric Draper said that in my conversation with him, too, is like, you know, he, he always, you know, he gets labeled as kind of not intelligent. But um, Eric Draper said he was always the smartest guy in the room. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Definitely. Yeah. And that story you said in January of 2008 when he went to Israel and he was mm -hmm. sitting down there with, you know, with Olmert and the, the prime minister and... uh I thought that story was fascinating. You know, tell us. I, I'm glad that you said that because I thought that was one of the most powerful stories in the book, but it really hasn't been um, highlighted that much. And it was when we were at this meeting, and he knew exactly what was going on across the table. There was anxiety uh, about a possible deal. There was we knew about shenanigans that were going on behind the scene to attack Prime Minister Olmert. And so President Bush stuck up for America, and he said, "I'm not going to waste my country's capital on you if you aren't serious." But then what he did next was, I think, more important. You figure out a way to get them all back on the same page by asking them each, yeah. why did you come to Israel? How did you get here? Tell me your story. And then they all found common ground. And when I asked them about that the next day, um, because I really thought that was a moment of leadership where you realize that you can advance somebody's goal by taking the focus off of yourself and reminding people that they were there for a common purpose. I thought that was so smart. Yeah, I thought that was a brilliant move. I don't know. It kind of... It, it, that story actually kind of gave me chills because I was thinking like, how did, you know, having that insight right there and then plus showing that kind of strength. I mean, some people might say it's cowboy, but I don't, but you know, pointing is if like anyone sitting at this table's what, what do you say? Waiting in the tall grass to attack this, this man, you know, I'm telling you. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me right now, because I'm the president of the United States and I'm not going to waste, waste my capital on you if that's what you're going to do. Right. Yeah. And then having the, the kind of emotional uh, quotient to kind of, Remind everybody why you're here and get everybody talking, you know, how many people were born in Israel, how many people, you know, and it just got people talking. That was just brilliant. And then that story after, right after that story, uh, I didn't know that one either. And I heard you talking about that on one of your shows. I can't remember which one. Was, it was. that the, with the Marine yeah. that died? Oh, my God. Yeah. What a heart-tugging story. You know, Yeah. Um, I wanted to tell that one because, again, it's just like, what's it like behind the scenes for somebody who made a very tough decision and had to lead? Um, an effort, even though he knew that it was causing people to lose, you know, sacrifice limbs or be gravely injured, and in some cases, in many cases, uh, to lose their lives. Yeah. 
I don't know. I just, I just, I love that you have these stories in there. You might, a favorite part of my book was the beginning too, telling me all about, you know, growing up on the ranch and your grandfather. I don't know. I just, I fell in love with your grandfather listening to your stories about. <laughs> Good. Like, I love that. A lot of people said that about Peter too, my husband. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think that that is a theme through my life, right? I find I've been able to attract people to me that have strength and character. I'm sorry, strength and gentleness as their characteristics that, um, help me to be a better person. And the other thing is, all the way through this, um, I have been supported by um, a lot of different people in my life, not just women, but men, who have encouraged me to do more and better. Yeah. And I thought that was an important thing to point out. What was the, if you can look back now, I mean, what was the dream, if you could say, I mean, I know you, your life is kind of, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you wouldn't have thought it was be where it is right now, but what was the dream 30 years ago, and then what's the dream now? Well, I've learned that I have to keep my eyes and ears open at all times, um, and also just to be open to what could possibly be next. The show I do now on Fox News, The Five, that's the longest I've ever held a job. Yeah. Okay, so for four years, cause yeah. every, every other time I've been either moving up, being promoted, or moving on to something else, um, and I'm not ready to move on right now. I think you know having the book project really helped me to feel like I was very challenged. And I'd never really writ written anything longer than a speech. Um, and to know that my writing has been praised by writers and that it's uh, hanging tough in the top five of the New York Times bestseller list, that feels really good. So if you had to say, are you just kind of, are you kind of looking at it? Well, I'm just living for the moment, see what it is. But if you had to say, what is the dream? Can Is it just kind of, to take the well, next opportunity I, I conclude the book by saying that I've found two um, descriptions for myself that is what I've been sort of searching for uh, professionally and personally, and that is how to be joyously content yeah. and productively and productive serenity. Those are the two things that I, two phrases that I coined that I think describe my ideal state of being. I would say for the most part, I actually have been able to achieve that post White House. Um, now living in New York and feeling more grounded, even though I live in New York, um, I've gotten off the crazy train of accepting every invitation and I don't try to go out every night and I've just tried to be a little bit quieter and that frees up my brain to do a lot more thinking. And I like that. Yeah. How do you do that? I can imagine, you know, one thing I, f I find difficult, especially from, well, I, I, for me, it's been in that same realm as like understanding that, that I get tremendous joy out of adding value to other people's lives. And I don't mean that in the vain sense or an egotistical sense, but I noticed that when I've stopped kind of chasing the next level or stopped chasing the next achievement and then started focusing on what can I do to add value to this person, no matter who it is, my wife, my spouse, my kids, my coworkers, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that seems to calm me down a little bit. And I, I, I yeah, yeah. Is that does that what is that what you mean by that? Does that kind of resonate with you? What I said? I think so. Yeah. Um, I also feel like I just don't need to worry so much. Although yeah. my husband says that I'm a worrier, so if I'm not worried about something, I worry that I forgot about what I'm supposed to worry about. Right. <laughs> um, and so that's one of, that my tendency then is to try to make a plan, as if getting a getting a plan together and looking at on paper will give me security and that sense of serenity that I'm looking for. That actually hasn't been true. I've learned to kind of let things go. In fact, I can, I can barely look around my apartment right now because during the book, book tour, 
I got a lot of gifts and letters and cards and things like that, and it's just my house is very cluttered and very messy right now, so I'm looking forward to um, getting all that off my plate. How do you deal with fear and uncertainty? That's another kind of lesson. We talk about this in the show a lot, and I think that's another piece that kind of has given me a little bit of peace is understanding that the fear and uncertainty never goes away. And um, and using fear as a barometer, meaning not, I'm not talking about anxiety. I'm talking about fear of, of taking the risks of, of the fear and the unknown and, and kind of trusting your gut and in faith and, and all that things. I mean, how, are, you strike me as that way. I mean, the book certainly resonates that way, is that I'm going to leap in faith, let fear kind of be my guide and barometer of what I should be doing. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Definitely. I also am really blessed that I have my husband that um, has a good out- outlook on life. One of my favorite pieces of advice in the book is that choosing to be loved is not a career-limiting decision. Right. And what I mean by that is that I, don't you hear so many young people say, well, I'm just going to focus on my career for now, and then I will find love, and then I will have children, yes. as if they can plan it out. Right. And uh, so many people um, I know that just never met anybody or didn't, or decided not to pursue a committed relationship, and now they're a little bit older. And, and that, it's not that they are unhappy, but my point is I think that my life has been certainly enhanced, and my career was not hindered at all um, by having a committed life partner. Yeah, in fact, I, what we just talked about there, about stepping out in faith or doing something there, that's pretty much how, that is how you met your husband. You took the chance to have a conversation with the person that was sitting next to you on the plane, right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I met him on a plane. I heard his accent and did a quick scan, you know, no, no wedding ring, <laughs> handsome. And he was reading a book called The Tailor of Panama. And so um, I asked him about that. And two hours later, as we were descending into Chicago, I thought, I cannot believe I just fell in love with the guy on the airplane. Wow. And I prayed. I, I looked out the window saying, God, I just, I know you asked, I asked you to help me meet somebody, but he's 18 years older than me. He <laughs> lives in England. He's been married twice before. I mean, this is just not the right guy. But it turned out my heart um, felt differently. And thankfully, I had advice from a friend who said, don't give up on this opportunity to be loved. And then I pursued it, and then my life's been better because of it. Oh, I love that. Great, great advice. What, wait, how about you know any other um, moments like that that kind of led you even to the press? I mean, where you said, okay, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to do it. Or you just you felt a calling or a nudging, if you will. I like to call them nudgings. Were, were there nudging that you felt like, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm going anyway? Yes, yes. Um, the other thing is being, being willing to move. You know, that's another piece of advice in the book that I think is so yeah. important. Both from people like where you are in Kansas, it's important for people that live there to know that you can, you might not want to leave home, and I understand that, but it's really important, I think, to go and see some other part of the world. And then you can come back to Kansas if that's what you decide you want to do. But it will enhance your life if you take a little break and go see something. Go start a business. I recommend North Dakota. Right. That's where all these great opportunities are. It doesn't mean you have to work in the energy business. But if you ever thought you might want to open a restaurant or um, have some other sort of small business, car rentals, whatever it might be, it's a great place to get started for a while. Are you optimistic about I – can't, I can't imagine because you deal with the everyday news and the politics and what's the, the, the kind of latest uh, news story and give you your opinions on that. And the daily five days a week, you know, sitting there kind of hashing it out in the debate in that form that you are, I, I would find myself maybe uh, getting cynical or negative. How do you combat that? 
About which one? The negativity? negativity? Well, I just it kind of being in that kind of um, the political. Yeah, the, the, the pressure cooker. No- yeah, the political noise all the time. That would. Oh, that yeah. Would well, I think I don't know if you saw in the book the part where I talk about how my health suffered. Yeah. Um, as press secretary, and that really was because of the stress. Which part of that was because it was just so nasty all the time. But I mean, sort of. And not personal towards me, but I felt every blow on President Bush's behalf personally. Sure. Um, yeah, so I dealt with it not well <laughs> yeah. while I was there. I remember looking in the mirror one time and seeing in the side mirror in the Jeep and seeing my face. It was all just angry and set in stone and scowling. And I thought, this is not who I wanted to be. So how do you deal with it now, though? I mean, like in in the like dealing with the five, I guess that that would. It's not very stressful. I mean, seriously, after you work at the White House. Yeah, um, I guess you're right. It's all perspective. I realize. I I remember leaning my head back against the seat on the on the last day when Peter and I left for our big trip to Africa, and I said, "Nothing I do for the rest of my life will ever be that hard or that important," and it really hasn't. Yeah. So I have a healthy perspective about it. That's true. As a conservative, and I'm a conservative too, but are you optimistic about the future of the country? Sure. America should never be counted out. I do worry about some certain things, but for the most part, we're doing okay. And also just comparatively around the world, um, this is the, we are so blessed to have been born in America and with freedom. Yeah, you know, the more I've done this show, the more that I've talked to you, the more optimistic I've become, especially when I get around entrepreneurs and millennial entrepreneurs. I know the millennials get a lot of bad rap in in kind of the pop culture narrative, but man, there are so many young adults that are doing so many great things in a different style of entrepreneurship too. That that maybe was different when from you know from the eighties. That's about part. They're of not these. afraid. Yeah. I mean, there are some millennials who are just not afraid to take a risk, which I like. Yeah. Others, I think, are quite risk averse. Yeah. Yet they really want to be running a company one day, um, and they're delayed. You know about their um, economic development is delayed by about ten years, and that will have consequences for all of us. And Generation X, of which I am, we should have more of a vested interest in making sure millennials are successful because we're going to need them to be. Agreed. Yeah, and there's so many of them too. I was looking at the numbers. I mean, there's just there's so many of them. But anyway, I I don't know. I've 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 gone from a place from three years ago I was a lot more negative than I was, and more cynical, and a lot more optimistic. And that's a byproduct of this show. I think just surrounding myself with very optimistic and positive people, or at least talking to them. You know, I've become more optimistic and positive. So I'm just curious. Um, I don't know. Just commenting on that every day. I can see that though. I mean, I, I commend you for having the optimist. You always seem like you're the, you're the most optimistic one on there. It seems like you're always positive, very optimistic. And your book is certainly about that too. But, uh, I love your optimism. Thank you. I, I figure there's no other way to live, right? Yeah. I mean, you have a choice, right? I mean, that's right. That's what, you know, at the end of the book in chapter six, I say stability is a choice. That's right. And we all get a choice. We all make that decision every time we speak, you know. And I've just decided that living with a forgiving heart and an optimistic outlook allows me to get to what I just said before, which is my goal, which is to be joyously content. Yeah. I can't do that if I'm fighting with people all the time. And I had a hard time in New York for a while, for about seven or eight months, where I just really didn't like it, and I was upset when people would honk and jostle me. And now I just sort of. Just, I just sort of like eased into it. I'm like, okay, if it's going to be crazy, I'll just fit right in. <laughs> and I and, and 
it took me a while. I had to start a New Year's resolution to write down one thing I liked a day about New York City because I was miserable living here. Oh, man. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's amazing that you have a a Vizsla. Uh, or oh, yeah. That's well, Peter helps me. And, of course, during the book tour, when I got all these uh, responsibilities morning and late uh, in, into the evening, I, I've had to have him stay at the dog walkers because Peter's been traveling. And I miss him so much. I He's a crazy imagine, little yeah. nut. Yeah. A great dog. We, we got four dogs ourselves. I've used, we just love dogs. And I love reading your posts and all your pictures that you have on there of Jasper. So it's really great. Hey, I'm always curious as we kind of wrap up here, like who people's heroes are and I always say I know who you know George Bush has to rank up there with him and your grandfather and all that but if you yeah. the ultimate dinner party the night where you could invite five people alive or dead to have this just really kick butt conversation who would those five people be great question I've gotten to know one of them is Peggy Noonan and now we're friends and I'm working on her with her on her upcoming book in the fall it's going to be a collection it's going to be fabulous um, she is somebody that I love to listen to and learn from. Yeah, I love her. Uh, Kevin Williamson of National Review, I think, is also right up there. Yeah. But if I had my druthers of anyone in the world currently living. Or dead. Or dead. Um, Winston Churchill, for sure. Um, and maybe even Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. Um, I think I might want to talk to Ronald Reagan and ask him if he knew that he would be so well-regarded. After he after his presidency and after he died, because I don't think he knew. Yeah, because you go back to that time, and he was he was beat up pretty bad by the press anyway. Yep, yeah. And he's well revered now. Well, you're absolutely right. Very well revered. Well, that's a great choice: Peggy Noonan, Kevin Williamson, Winston Churchill, Margaret Thatcher, and Ronald mm-hmm. Reagan. That would be an interesting. <laughs> that's a nice dinner. Yeah, very nice. Well, guys, Dana, I love your stuff. I love your work, and. Thank you for taking the time. You know, whirlwind tour. You're everywhere promoting the book. Um, the book is, the, and the good news is, I highly recommend it. We'll have links to all the posts. How can people get in touch with you, Dana, and, and reach out to you and, and learn more? At DanaPerino.com uh, and also on Twitter. I'm pretty active there. Um, and, of course, you can see my dog there, too. That's right. <laughs> and then you got a pretty good Facebook following, too. Yes, I do. I try to do Facebook and uh, interact with people on there. I did, I did a great Q&A the other day that should be archived that people could check out about the book. Um, it's pretty fun. And I also did something with Rally Point, which is the LinkedIn for military community. I really enjoyed that. Rally Point? Yep. You should check it out. I think you might be interested in that. Uh, Stan McChrystal was doing a Q&A with them uh, Tuesday. Very good. All right. Well, guys, Dana, thank you so much. I mean, again, you've been so gracious to the show. I mean, early on, um, it helped. I, I, and I got to personally thank you because when you came on the show, it was the show was only three or four months old. And having you on the show um, introduced me to a whole new audience that I wouldn't have had because you were so gracious. Oh, great. And so I appreciate that. And thank you so much for, uh, for being such a supporter of this show. It means a lot to me. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you. And congratulations on it. All right, Dana, thanks for coming on the show. Hang on the line. We'll talk yeah. in a second. And then, but thank you guys, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, exactly. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. 
He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com. <music>